Now, we turn your Bible to Jeremiah, the eighth chapter. Jeremiah, the eighth chapter. Jeremiah, chapter eight. Last night, we had a great youth rally at Cornerstone Baptist Church and a tremendous impact. The Brady family were there and uh, Brother Brady preached and the team sang and Brother Matthias in his own inimitable way directed the service, preached the announcements and uh, really brought an extra super message. It was all compact within just a little time period and I was proud of our quiz team that were there. We appreciated them very, very much and uh, looking forward to their developing that quiz ability. And one of these uh, youth rallies soon, they're going to be winning the quiz team. So they'll be studying carefully about that. Jeremiah chapter eight, verse 20. May we pray together. Our Father, it is good to be in the house of God and we come into thy presence with thanksgiving, with song and with praise and with a, with a petition for cleansing. We ask you to forgive every sin in our lives, corporately, individually, and as a body of believers. And we pray that thou will give us seriousness about this truth from the word of God. We pray that the Holy Spirit will do his work of convincing and conviction and encouragement. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. When the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? Well, they said, some say you're Elijah or you're Jeremiah. I wonder why they said that. Elijah was that thunderous prophet. Jesus was that kind of a prophet and preacher. He drove the money changers from the house of God. He knew what it was to be righteously indignant. The scripture says, be angry and sin not. Anybody that can't get a little bit angry over the things that anger the heart of God isn't worth his salt. And then they said, well, you're like Jeremiah. I wonder why they thought he was like Jeremiah. Jeremiah said one time, oh, that my eyes were a fountain of water. And I could pour out the tears of my heart for my people day and night. He was the weeping prophet. In this section of Jeremiah, chapters 8, 9, 10, and so on along in there, Jeremiah seems to be contemplative. He has already tried to correct the ills of the people of God. It were as if he were saying all day long, have I held out my hand to you, but you would not. Over and over again, he said, come. He said, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken the Lord God and they have hewn them out cisterns that can hold no water. They've ignored the inscriptions of scripture. They've ignored the calls of God from heaven. 
They've ignored righteous living. They've ignored the way God wants them to live. And in this section, he seems to be talking sometimes with himself and sometimes with God, wondering, how long can you be patient with us, Lord? And then he says a terrific thing that reminds us that God will not always strive in the hearts of men. There comes a day when God's patience wears out. He said with terrific insight, chapter 8, verse 20, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Last Monday, the sun passed the fall equinox, and the summer of 1991 ended forever. We'll never be able to go back and live any of those pages again, except by video or by memory or by historical document or by diary. But as far as our being present in the summer of 1981 or changing anything that's been done, we can't do it. Those who have died before the fall have had their opportunity to serve. They've had their opportunity to make an impression. They've had their opportunity to make a change in their lives. They've had an opportunity to be saved and that opportunity is gone forever. Now there's coming a day when the harvest of life passes. And I want to speak about that this morning. The harvest has passed. The summer has ended and we're not saved. God has graciously given us four seasons to our lives. Autumn, winter, spring, and summer. Often the passing is hardly noticeable. This past week, as the sun passed the fall equinox, everything remained just like it was. Flowers grass, trees, some of the leaves are falling, but not a lot of them. The summer of 1991 is over. We're still having the same daylight saving time. It's still warm outside. We can still go in our shirt sleeves. We can still have some outdoor athletics. But soon that'll all be past. The family reunions we've had in the summer will be over. The ending of summer is somewhat sad. The warm sunny days grow fewer and fewer to re be replaced by the cold snowy days of winter. Family reunions will cease. No more outdoor summer sports. Cold weather's hard on sick folks. Some of them will not be here when warm weather comes again. The spiritual summer or opportune summer passes just like that quietly, everything going the way it has always gone, then suddenly summer is over. No obvious difference, but it has ended. Now God has given ample time for harvest. 2,000 years ago, Jesus declared the harvest season in session when he said in John 4:35, say not ye there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they're white already to harvest. The harvest is here. But God's summer and harvest, they don't last forever. There comes an end, and we don't like that. I think one of the sad things about a funeral is that it's so final. You stand by someone who is ill, someone who has had a very serious sickness, and every day you think, well, perhaps the next day will be a little bit better. Maybe the next day will be a little bit be better. Maybe things will get better. 
And then as it goes down and down and down and you stand there and that loved one breathes the last breath, there's a finality that comes with it that is just a, an emotional moment. And you think, I wish I could call that back. I wish I could go back beyond that hour. But you can't. It's all over. And then you stand in the funeral home by the casket. And you think of that loved one. And you wish, I wish we had enjoyed the days better. I wish things could have been a little bit different. I wish they could have been a little bit longer. But it's all over. Now, there are a lot of things in life like that. The serious person will think this through, and I want to ask you to be serious for the next few moments. Some of you in the junior department. Some of you who are younger than juniors. Some of you who are in the teens. Young adults. Older adults. Senior adults. You just think of some of the things that are going to pass. First of all, I want to think for a moment about the harvest of youth. Youth is a great time in life. It's a time like the springtime. It's a time for physical maturing, enjoying, uh, enjoyment, pleasure, romance. Somebody said, in the spring, a young, man's, a young man's fancy turns to what the young lady's been thinking about all year long. And in the springtime, there's just something wonderful about it. Youth is like that. Youth is a time for seed sowing. It's a time for setting habits. But the Bible has a lot to say about youth. In Ecclesiastes 12:1, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Youth is a time for making things right with God. And all too quickly, the youth time passes away. I'm not sure when youth passes. Sometimes I think youth is not related to the calendar, but the heart. I've seen some older people in years who were young in heart. And I guess I've seen some young people in years who were old in heart. But youth is a time for setting the stage for the rest of life. Youth is a time for nailing down the pegs. You know, when you set up a tent, you can go out there and just set the poles in the ground and put the tent awning up, and the first wind that comes along will blow it down. Or you can stretch those wires and those ropes from the poles down on all the sides of the tents and nail them down with those spikes and when the strong winds come, that tent will stay there. Now youth is a time for nailing down the pegs. Youth is a time when you nail down certain things in your life and you say, I will not be moved. This is where I stand and I'm gonna stand there all of my life. But all too often, young people use that youth just as a time of sowing wild oats or experimentation and we throw away the glorious time of youth. <laughs> Somebody said once, there's so much energy in youth, 
how awful that it's wasted on young people. Well, you'd have to be older in years to understand that. Most of you who are young have so much energy you don't understand it. What that means is that older people don't have that energy any longer. And it would be wonderful to have the same kind of energy that you have when you're a teenager and yet have the same kind of maturity you have when you're older in years. There's some very serious warnings about youth. Listen to this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. There are some things we do in youth, in the youth years, that we're going to have to pay for all the rest of our lives. There are some scars that will be left if we don't heed what the Word of God says. The harvest of youth passes all too quickly. And that wonderful opportune time that God gives for nailing down the pegs and making certain convictions be real in our lives, it's all gone. I told you the other day about a man at Camp Joy. He talked to me between some of the sessions and he said, I, I'm 53 years old. He said, God began to deal with me when I was 12. I put him off. He dealt with me again when I was 14 and I put it off. When I was 15, God called me to be a preacher. I put it off. When, he was six, when I was 16, he called me again. I put it off. All through those years, he kept tugging at my heart. And I put it off, and I put it off, and I put it off. And he said, I went into business. I did this, and I did that. And I never, never did what God wanted me to do. He said, I'm 53 now, and today I want to yield my life to God's will. Oh, but he said, I've missed all those wonderful years. And there's some ways God will not be able to use me because I was not available to him in youth. The harvest of youth passes. Now let me, let me just say this from my heart. Young people, always listen to the man of God. You may not like what he says. You may feel embarrassed by it. You may feel well, I can go down to some other church and get something from some other man. He won't say a word about my sin or my particular problem that I'm facing. He won't say anything about it. I'll be, feel more comfortable there. But that's not really what you need. You need to feel some discomfort. If you can go through these teen years and no conscience ever pricked and the Word of God never gets through to your heart and you never get feeling inside convicted, you better be careful. Amen. And parents, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't ever line up with your teenager against the man of God. Amen. That's a wicked sin. Amen. And you'll regret it. You'll live to regret it. You'll live to regret it. Don't ever do that. Amen. Listen to God's message. And if you don't understand it, just say to your young teen, Listen to God's man. Amen. I don't understand it either, but see what God is saying to you through it. And if God doesn't say anything to you through it, then you don't have to be concerned. Let God deal with your heart. Amen. I've known many parents 
who made the serious mistake when their kid didn't like what was said from the pulpit. That parent took up for the kid against the man of God and he lived to regret it. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. The harvest of youth passes away. And young people today, listen to God's message to your soul. What does he want you to do? What is he speaking to you about? What is he saying deep in the depths of your soul? What kind of a message is he giving to you? What kind of an urgency is he putting upon you? I think as adults, we need to relive our childhood sometime. I don't understand why God dealt with my heart like he did when I was little. But maybe he was equipping me to try to understand later on. When I was five, I went to church with my mother. And the preacher would have a way of pointing out at the audience. He had a little bony finger. He was a thin man. And, he, and that little bony finger would always move around, somehow get a, around the people in front of me and land right on my heart. And I, I punched my mother and I said, Mother, is that man fussing at me? Why'd I think that? Now she could have said, oh no, don't pay attention. He's just a preacher. He's just talking. Why she didn't say anything. She, like that, she said, what is he trying to say to you? What is God trying to say to you? I didn't know. I think if somebody had told me then how to be saved, I could have been saved when I was five. God dealt with me. One reason I like for children to be in the worship service, and I know sometimes that's not possible. We need children's church, and we may have to have junior church and all that, but I, I believe kids need to be under the Word of God with, other, with the adults as much as possible. They need to learn to worship and listen. They need to listen to what God says. I'm so proud of the way our juniors are listening today. God bless you. What is God trying to say to you? What is he saying deep in the depths of your soul? Listen to him and offer yourself to him. One young boy that was in our Bible drill comes from a home that won't let him be baptized. He's come a number of times and he said, I wish you'd pray for my mother that she'll understand. Let me go on and follow the Lord in baptism. Those who are on our Bible drill impressed the associational training director. And he came to me the other day and he said, I want... Those, those boys that were in that Bible drill to be at M night. And I want them to be in that Bible drill at M night. Amen. I think it meets at Burton Memorial this year. Now kids, listen to what God says. Always do what he says. The harvest of youth will pass away. The harvest of teenage life will pass away. The harvest of that young time will be gone. And all the rest of your life, you say, oh, I wish I were young again. I wish I were young again. Why do you wish you were young again? Did you not do what God told you to do while you were young? If you did, thank God for it and then pass on to the next stage. You don't have to keep looking back. I don't know how long the Lord will let me live. I'm ready to go today. I'm not in a hurry. I want to live as long as he let me live here. But I don't want to relive all those days in the past. I'm thankful God dealt with me. Now, what is God saying? Young people, listen to him. And whatever God is saying to him, let him have his way with you. The harvest of youth passes. 
it'll soon be gone. Secondly, the harvest when there are reapers, loved ones who seek to get you saved, will all pass away too quickly. There's a time in Samuel's life and Saul's life when they were close friends. Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He was a young man. And God said, Samuel, I want you to anoint him king of Israel. And when Samuel anointed king, Saul to be king of Israel, he was a humble man. And he said, why, I couldn't do that. And, and he was busy about his father's work and so on. And, 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 and yet that went to his head. And Saul came to a time in his life when he, when he spiritually got out of his mind. He hated David. He was jealous of David. And, and, and he wouldn't listen to the man of God. There came a time when, when Saul was so uh, filled with himself that when they came to the, to the time of sacrifice and the preacher was a little bit late, Saul took it on himself to do the, own, the sacrifice himself. It was against God's law. And God had to say to Saul, because you have disobeyed God, I have removed you from the kingdom. Now there came a, there came a, a controversy between Samuel and Saul and Samuel and Saul. I believe if Saul had gotten on his face before God and said, Lord, I, I'm not humble anymore like I used to be. And, and I, I've become arrogant and proud. Forgive me. I believe God would have forgiven. But instead he became more arrogant, more proud. And there came a time when Saul said, I don't want to see you anymore, Samuel. And Samuel said, all right, I will see your face again no more. And never again did Saul have any counsel from the man of God. Now listen, there was a day when the battle went against Israel. And Saul was out on the battlefield. and He saw the battle going that way. He tried to pray and he couldn't pray. The heavens were like stone he couldn't seek for the man of God because he said I don't want to see your face anymore what was he to do he went to the witch of Ender a woman with familiar spirits and got his information from the devil now listen God never intended You go to a palm reader or a fortune teller or some kind of a person with familiar spirits or a horoscope or anything else to get your ideas about the future. God wants you to go to him. And if you go to these others long enough, there'll be a time when you can't even hear God. He won't listen to you. He'll say, go on and get your information from the world's way if that's what you're going to do. And so... The time when God wanted to deal with Saul and God was open to Saul's heart and Saul's heart was open to God passed away. And he couldn't hear him any longer. And Saul talked to the witch of Ender tried to conjure up a message from Samuel. It's a sad day when you can't talk to God anymore. It's a sad day when those who have been concerned about you like mother or daddy 
or Sunday school teacher or preacher or some spiritual friend loved you and tried to talk to you about the things of God and you said, no, 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 I don't want to hear it. There's going to come a day when you'd like to hear it and you can't. The harvest of special reapers, somebody that cares about your soul, somebody that loves you and wants to see you right with God, that'll all pass away. There are those around you today who love you and want to see you saved. That's going to pass. They'll be gone. We put a lot of those sentiments in ballads. There's a song that says, if I could hear my mother pray again. It's like a ballad. What that song, the sentiment of that song is, I used to hear mother pray and I ignored it. Now I wish I could hear her pray again. There's going to come a time in your life when you wish somebody would knock on your door and try to tell you about Jesus. There'd be, there'd come a time in your life when you wish somebody would ring on the telephone and say, we missed you in Sunday school. I've heard people say, well, I don't want them calling me. When I get ready to come, I'll come. Shame on you. Shame on you. There's going to come a time when you, when you say, I wish somebody would call me. I feel lonely. The harvest when there are people that care passes away. Thirdly, the harvest of God's special dealing with the, with the sinner. That is the harvest of Holy Spirit conviction passes. Now it's a dangerous doctrine. I like the doctrine that says whosoever will may come. But I want to tell you, like the thread that binds the little boy, you take a little, little fellow. You put his hands out like that and you wrap one little thread around it. You say, now break that thread, and he goes like that and breaks it. You put those hands together again, you take that same thread and wind it around four or five times, and you say, now break it. And he tries a little bit and finally breaks it. You put his hands back together, and you take that same thread, and you wind it around and around and around and around and around, the same little thread, and you say, now break it. And he tries and he tries and he tries and he tries and he tries, but he can't. He can't break it. Now, there comes a time when you'll not be able to break the shackles of indifference. You keep on keeping on in your indifferent way. You keep on keeping on in your indolence. You keep on keeping on in your ignoring of spiritual truths. You'll not be able to break it. In the days of the steam engine, those men who spent their lives out on the railroad 20, 30, 40, 50 years on the front end of that train toward their retirement years, every one of them was hard of hearing. Why? Because the continual steam and roar of that engine made their ears insensitive. You keep on ignoring what God says to you. You keep on disregarding the, the message of the Lord to your heart, there's going to come a time when you won't hear it any longer. The Bible puts it this way. My spirit will not always strive in the hearts of men. There is a time I know not when, a place we know not where that marks the destiny of men to glory or despair. There is a line by us unseen which crosses every path which marks the boundary between God's mercy and His wrath. To pass that limit is to die, to die as if by stealth. It does not dim the beaming eye nor pale the glow of health. The conscience may be still at ease, the spirit light and gray. 
and that which pleases still may please and care be thrust away. But on that forehead God has set indelibly a mark, unseen by man, for man as yet is blind and in the dark. He feels perchance that all is well, and every fear is calmed. He lives, he dies, he wakes in hell, not only doomed, but damned. Oh, where is that mysterious line that man may cross beyond which God himself hath sworn that he who goes is lost? The answer from the sky repeats, ye who from God depart today, oh, hear his voice. Today, repent and harden not your heart. And then the harvest of opportunity passes. There's a tide taking the affairs of men which taken leads on to fortune. Opportunity doesn't knock over and over again. It knocks once or twice, three or four times, and then maybe it doesn't come anymore. Open your heart to hear God. That, that's the reason. Listen, don't ever be upset with what you hear from the man of God. Don't go out and say, that old preacher, he preached against this, or he preached against that, preached against something else, and made me mad. How tragic for you to feel that way. Why have it, I've heard ladies, listen, I believe ladies look more ladylike in dresses than, than uh, in the pants. I don't apologize for telling you that. And I've had people, young man, sit down, will you? Thank you. Good. Just sit down there. All right. I've heard, I've heard uh, some of these uh, ladies say, well, I'll tell you, I don't like that. That preacher is just crazy preaching like that. Listen to God's man. You may not agree. You may never agree. There's no use in getting mad about it. What is God trying to say to you about it? One reason people get mad about what the man of God says is because it pricks their heart. One reason they say something about it is because it makes them feel guilty in their heart. Why don't you just listen to what God says? And then weigh it carefully and say, Lord, is that you speaking to me? I'm not going to get mad about that. I'm going to take it. Because if you, if you don't listen, there comes a time when you'll not be able to listen. Your heart will be hardened to it. And you'll not hear what God says. You see, the harvest of that opportunity passes the harvest of the opportunity for parents in your home to train up the child in the way he should go, that harvest will soon be gone. You just have a few years. At the most, you have 18 years to train your children. That's all. Bring them to the house of God. Train them to grow up in the house of God. Put God's house before ball games and picture shows and all the other things. Put them first. Put God's first place work first. You'll never regret it. But, but you may regret if you don't do it. Because the harvest, when you have that opportunity, passes. Train your children to say, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Yes, sir, and no, sir. Train your children to obey you. When you say, I'm going to whip you if you don't do this, go on and whip them. Now, the child psychologist may not like this, and the human resources department may say, well, I'm going to turn you off the radio for saying that, but I believe that's what God says. You spare the rod and you spoil the child. But I've heard, I've been in homes where some mother say, well, honey, if you do that again, I'm going to spank you. And he does it again five times and no spanking. You say, well, you're just not a parent. I know, but I was a kid. 
The harvest, when you have the opportunity, the golden opportunity to train up that child in the way he should go, that'll all be gone soon, very, very soon. Take it while you have it. Church, the, the opportune time when we can send out buses across the city and pick up people and bring them to Christ will soon be gone. Soul winners, the opportune time we can go and knock on doors may pass away. The opportune time passes away. The harvest is passing. Quickly, let me go to this. The harvest of life itself will soon be gone. This book says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little season and then vanishes. It's gone. Gone forever. Gone forever. Every morning, I put on a tea kettle to boil some water for my mother's coffee. I don't drink coffee. And I notice the vapor that comes out of that tea kettle. And I wonder, where does it go? Where does it go? And I, over and over again, it reminds me of that passage in James. Your life is a vapor, appears for a little while, and then it's gone. The harvest of life passes all too quickly. There may be someone within the sound of my voice today, either in this auditorium or by radio. You're hearing the opportune time to come to Christ for the last time. And it'll all be over. Years ago, I was in Savannah, Tennessee. I served there for several years while I was at Union University. And one Sunday night, I preached a text from, from this text, a message from this text. And I noticed in the auditorium a, a, a young couple. It was a boy and a girlfriend sitting there. And I noticed the girl turned to the boy during the invitation and, and pressed upon him to come to Christ. I learned later that's what he was, she was doing. And I saw him shake his head. As they went out the door that night, I asked the man, young man, if he were a Christian. He said, no. I said, I'm praying for you. I'd like to see you come to Christ. He went on out. The next day was election day in Hardin County. And a man drunk on election day whiskey went up on the bridge it's over, this, over the Tennessee River. And a, a, a family was coming into town and they had a flat tire. And they, right on the bridge, and they parked the car and uh, got out and tried to do something and they sent for someone to come and fix it. This boy that was in church the night before worked at a filling station. And they sent him up on that bridge to fix that tire. And he got out and stood there and some traffic was passing and he stood in front of the car and a man drunk on election day whiskey came up on that bridge and plowed into the car and pinned that boy between the two cars. They called me to come to the Hardin County Hospital. I went over there and stood by this boy. I, I didn't know who he was. He was unconscious. I couldn't talk to him. I prayed for him, but he couldn't hear me. And after a little while, a young lady came in. I recognized that she was the young lady who was at church the night before. And she put her arms around that boy and tried to bring him back to life. They put him in an ambulance and sent him to Memphis to the hospital. And on the way, his spirit went out into eternity. And that girl wept and wept and wept. And she said, my, 
My boyfriend went to hell. My boyfriend went to hell. 17 years old. He went to hell. Last night, I urged him to come to Christ. But he wouldn't do it. The harvest is past. And we're not saved. May we pray. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. Our Father, we pray that someone here today would turn to Jesus. Let Christ Jesus come into that heart and change him. Oh God, may the Holy Spirit move in spiritual power. We pray that everyone here will recognize we're living in days that the harvest is passing away. We do not know how long we have. But may we do what we're, what, what we're told by your Spirit to do while we have the opportunity to do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. Would you turn to page 312? Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. He will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. <clears throat> the way to salvation is trust, faith, just coming to Jesus. Scripture says, he that cometh, I will in no wise cast out. If you'll just come, he'll forgive you and cleanse you. Would you do it? God help you to do it. I want to encourage you, urge you. Don't say no when God says go. Now, there's some here today who have been saved, but you have not made it public. You have not followed the Lord in baptism. You need to come and do that. The harvest of opportunity will soon pass. I want to encourage you to do it today. Don't put it off. While the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, come. There are some who are members of other churches, and God really wants you here at this church. You ought to come today. And there are some Christians who have heard God whisper to your heart about service. Will you do what God tells you to do? Don't, don't put it off, just do it today. While we begin to sing, who would come first for the king? Will you come for God's sake?